The Lakers are officially out of the playoffs. Zion is doing full court work and his stepdad expects him to play this season. And the clinic breaks down each contender's playoff kryptonite. I'm Rosa Panda, this is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. I have the three hooligans with me. JJ, how you living? Oh, you know, feeling good, feeling great. Ah, My question's pretty weird, but here's a question for my fellas out there. Friday or Saturday? That's it. Friday or Saturday. Ooh. John, how you living? I'm sad because of my Lakers. Bruh. But I'm happy to be here with you guys. Oh my goodness. I'm going to go with Friday, of course. Right? Get an extra day of Man. the weekend. Since you were sad, I thought you were going to say Monday. Anyway, Sammy. <laughs> Sammy, how you living, my friend? I am well, my man. Uh, tough call. I'm going to also go with Friday because that gives you an extra day off. And, you know, great movie. That's also true. JJ, what you going with? I'm going to go with Saturday. Saturday? Sa- Saturday mornings. I'm a morning guy. Wake up early. Get the start. Get the day started off right. I, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> I'm going to say Friday, man. I like I like making money, but also looking ahead to the future. Like, dude, I'm gonna have a day off. I'm gonna have this weekend off. I got plans. Anyway, we're gonna get going here. We're gonna talk about how the Lakers are officially eliminated from the playoffs. They lost on Tuesday, which eliminated them to the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns get to take down the Lakers for another season. And Frank Vogel basically said this. He said, extremely disappointed, disappointed for our fan base, disappointed for the Bus family who gave us all this opportunity. And we want to play our part in bringing success to Laker basketball. And we fell short. Anthony Davis said, this year we had more starting lineups than wins. Russell Westbrook, he said, I mean, when asking if he's going to come back, he said, I mean, that's the plan, but nothing's promised. Yes, we want to be able to see what it looks like, what it entails over the course of an 82-game season, but we're not sure if that's guaranteed either. So I just hope that we have a chance to be able to do something. Guys, crazy season for the Los Angeles Lakers after having all this hope to win a championship at the end. Was this the most disappointing team in NBA history? There's a lot to unpack here. And yeah. since I don't want to unpack it, I'm going to take the luggage and throw it in the trash can and set it on fire. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. Wow. Well, to answer your question, Ro, is this the most disappointing Laker team ever? I'm going to have to say with all of the expectations, with the level of talent on this team, I'm going to have to say yes. And I know that there have been comparisons to the Kobe, Shaq, Karl Malone, Gary Payton year, but they made the finals. Yes, they lost to the Detroit Pistons. Karl Malone got hurt in that series. We did get beat 4-1 to one, or 1-4, one to four, but they made the finals, right? You, yeah, they fell true. short of their goal, but... To say that the Lakers of this year fell short of their goal is an understatement. They didn't even come within striking distance of their goal. And to me, that's a huge disappointment. It's a huge just failure, I would say. And I know that there is 
there are a lot of variables, there are a lot of things that go into it, injuries, inconsistent lineups, different players, new players, but at the end of the day, a lot of teams have the same, they have the same problems, and I don't like that as an excuse. They failed, and as a Laker fan, you have to just take the good and the bad, so you know what? Rough year for us, but gotta move forward, and all the Laker haters, you win one for now. We'll be back, I promise. Baby, baby. Yeah, I don't know what to add other than that you have LeBron James, who people consider the GOAT. You have Anthony Davis, top 75. People considered him the best power forward. And you have Russell Westbrook, who a lot of sports fans put him above Stephen Curry. Who? Even though all of those are arguable, there are people. I'll, I'll, I keep my receipts. What? Even though there are people that say that and like they could be wrong, the fact that you mentioned these players in that conversation shows that the Lakers, they're supposed to achieve great things. And it's not so far-fetched that almost every single person that bet betted in the NBA for who to reach the finals had the Lakers right did any of you like did everyone here expect the Lakers to at least make it to the Western Conference Finals and not be not be 18 games below 500 yep yeah I Sammy what do you think I had the Bucks beating the Lakers in the finals yeah I had uh, 76ers Lakers. Dang, you guys are at the beginning of the year. You guys too. are way off. I had them missing the playoffs and being at least fifteen games under five hundred. <laughs> Go ahead, Savvy. Yeah, so I definitely think just like John was saying, I, I heard the comparisons to that Malone Payton Shaq Kobe squad too, but like you were saying, finals is one thing. This team liquidated every draft asset and every tradable contract pretty much they had so the one the only good side to losing if you tank or whatever the case may be is usually at least you get that high pick this team never had that so when they just went ice cold i think they went 10 and 29 or 10 and 30 in their last 40 games if i saw the record right yeah that was just because they were that bad and with the talent on this team it's it's kind of unfathomable um so just looking at the blame and what's gone on, I keep on seeing fingers pointed at LeBron, and what I keep going back to is, before he got to the Lakers, he made the finals eight straight years with personnel control, the same that he had in every other place, and pretty much running things the way he did where he brought in his own guys from clutch. I think there's a bigger underlying problem in the front office and with ownership. I really believe that. I'm not saying Jeannie's a bad owner, but she's not Jerry Buss. He had so much experience and just vision that no other owners had, period. So it's not a fault of hers. It's just the previous owner, who happens to be her father, was so above and beyond that it's going to make her look bad by comparison. I do think the front office is a total mess. I think Polinka's ridiculously overrated as it is, and it's been exposed because LeBron's been there four years. At worst, he's been a top three player when he's healthy. And they've missed the playoffs two years and haven't gotten out of the first round in the other. They did win one title in, I actually consider that an extremely difficult year, but in a year that actually played out well for them because 
their injury prone star and their older star got a three month break. So yeah, true. I think there are far bigger problems here than are being said, and I could easily end up eating my words next year if they go back to the finals. But I do think the front office needs a major overhaul to fix this. I don't think it's on LeBron. I know he has control and he's made these personnel decisions and you could point that finger, but how did this never come up until he got to LA? So I th- so yeah. that that's what I'm yeah. I go was ahead. just gonna add to that. I I think so Westbrook is kind of the reason why they're bad, but it's not because of him directly. It's because of what happened indirectly by trading him, mm-hmm. by giving up all right. of those role players. All of those guys play pivotal roles on that championship team, whether it's... And the, the numbers don't even tell the whole story. They were long. They were lanky. They were, they were able to play defense. Even Danny Green, who was just, you know, say what you want about him. He could play defense. He could lock people up, even though he would take ill-advised threes almost every time he was still a defender kuzma kcp those guys could lock down guys and that's the reason why we're so good defensively so i mean it is westbrook because of his contract but it's it's not because of his way he's playing it's because we gave up so much and we didn't we're, we're so thin as a team and i think that was not really talked about enough this season you know and, and i would agree and I, i'm glad that you brought like all of that up because I think it follows naturally into the next question, which which JJ had teed up for us, which is basically, who's to blame for the Lakers situation? And is it the players? Is it the coach? Is it the front office? Like, we're going to play the blame game here. So who do you guys think is to blame for this season? Let's, I'll, let's I'll break defer it down, here. guys. Yeah, I'll defer yeah. here because I kind of spoke my piece. I, I clearly think this is a front office front issue. Front office, okay. By far, because they made this team so unathletic and liquidated all of its assets. So that roster is old and unathletic. I think that, and that goes right back to front office. Yeah, okay. 100% agree with that. And I know people are blaming LeBron James for the construction of this team. So I wanted to pose this question for you guys which is is it the front office's fault that they have this roster or is it LeBron James's fault because I've always felt that there are certain players yes they do have that power where the GM has to agree but I'm going with the homer stance right now where for example the Warriors big three Clay, Draymond and Steph told Bob Myers let's go ahead and make a big trade so we could get another superstar but they hesitated and they wanted to transition to this young generation. At the end of uh, Summer League, the, the big three wanted Avery Bradley, but they declined and got GP2. So is it the front office's fault that they created this monster and led GM? Or is it led GM's so, fault? Led Braun James should get yeah. blamed for that. You know? So... Uh- Here's the thing. Yes, LeBron has power in making the decisions. Let's, let's all be honest. He probably had a, a big say in what front, the front office did. But the front office should be the front office. They're the executives. They should make the ultimate decision. But yep. I will say that the reason why players have so much power is because the way that it, it's been trending all over the NBA for the, the past many for many years now. You look at all of these players, they're, they're demanding where they play. They make 
all of these demands in public, in private. They they kind of control their own destiny. Where before, they would just play basketball and they would let the executives handle those decisions. And so it's kind of the way that the you know the the landscape of basketball has been going for quite some time. And so. I think it's, and of course, LeBron is LeBron, right? He's going to have way more pull than a lot of these other players because he is considered, arguably, the greatest of all time. I know that we have debate about that, but yes, sir. He has way more pull. So I think just the environment, plus it being LeBron James, kind of just is like the perfect storm. But at the end of the day, like I said, it's the executives who make the decision. They can say no to LeBron, but they're obviously worried about the repercussions, about the perception, and how he's going to. Whether or not he's going to resign with the Lakers, so. Mm-hmm. And to augment what I said earlier, I don't think LeBron is completely clean of any of the blame. He definitely should absorb some of it because they did defer to him. This is known now; it's not rumor that he and Davis wanted Westbrook over the healed trade that could have been made and the other options. So he's not without fault here by any means. But like you said, it, it does come back to the front office at the end of the day. The one part of credit I will give to the front office is that at the trade deadline, it came out that Clutch wanted Westbrook swap for Wall, and it would have cost the Lakers the one first-round pick that they did not trade in the Davis trade, and the front office said no. I will give them credit for that, because at this point, you should not be unloading any more assets than you already have. So I guess that was when it was already too late, right? Yeah, well, yeah, it's too late, the and damage has been done. And it came yeah. out that they went out and they wanted it done, and Polinka and Genie said no. And it's interesting now that these stories are coming out. Like Magic, who is known to be a friend of Genie's, all of a sudden shows up on ESPN saying that LeBron is the reason DeRozan's not a Laker. You lose. Yep. Interesting that these stories started coming out when the season went completely in the tank. Magic is taking. Indirect shots at Blinka for obvious reasons, right? He, he is, and I think he's also. I think he got the okay from Gina to put it out that a lot of this is on LeBron. It's on him to clean it up. You know what's also not talked about here? Sorry, bro. I, I want to give you guys you a chance to speak. In, no, no, in no, no. Input, but go for it. Is another faux pas of of the executives and the management is that they they paired a coach. His skill set mm-hmm. and what he's known for, with players that are not known for that at, at all, it, it literally is just mind-boggling. Because Frank Vogel is known as a defensive-minded coach. I think we all know that. That he right. led the Indiana Pacers with Paul George back in the day, and they were always a top defensive team every year with Hibbert. And to pair Frank Vogel with guys like Malik Monk, and Carmelo Anthony, and Russell Westbrook. Is to me is just it's such an oversight or it's just it's complete negligence because you have to realize that hey if we're gonna have a bunch of offensive-minded players why don't we get an offensive-minded coach kind of like with Mike D'Antoni and the Houston Rockets right at least you can give yourself a better chance mm-hmm. of winning so to me it's that's also another issue that people aren't talking about and I think it's needed to be brought to light. Yeah, I think Coach Vogel does need to get blamed though because. How can you not win with arguably the best player in the league, with Anthony Davis and Westbrook, and then you're gonna have a rotation where you have Carmelo and Westbrook on the floor, and then you're gonna have a rotation with Anthony Davis and De- DeAndre Jordan at the same time. Are you guys kidding me? Holla, yeah. Holla. Who's gonna counter that? I want to hear that. I mean, with with Frank Vogel, I think he didn't have the right personnel 
so it's kind of hard like who else are you putting in <laughs> i guess is the question it's like i wouldn't put carmelo with westbrook that's for damn it would sure be like austin reeves and westbrook like is that like crazy that much better or i can't even list another person like i don't i've never heard kendrick nunn's name mentioned so many times because they were just begging for depth right other players to put out there like his name was mentioned more times than his played games this season like it's absolutely ridiculous and like if we go back to the whole like the gm thing i almost feel bad for the gms because it's either damned if you do or damned if you don't because if you yep. listen to lebron and you obviously see that this isn't going to work out it's like if you do it your way and it doesn't work out lebron's going to blame you and you're fired right right and then if you follow lebron right then you kind of create this rift between you and management like right now what we're seeing with magic putting out stuff with palinka it's like a whole awkward situation where like lebron had the final stamp on this thing but maybe he should have just let the let higher management do what they're supposed to do like john was saying so it's tough to say who's to blame here but if you have to go with final answers i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with lebron james who do you guys go with I'm gonna go with the front office on this one. Front office, I think okay. it's I think final it's on Polinka. I'm gonna blame Derek Fisher for calling Westbrook Westbrook on that on TV <laughs> and ruining everything. It all started with that. Okay, no, but really, right. uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I, like I said, I agree with Sammy, front man, front office. I'm gonna go with the unique take here just for uh, entertainment's sake. I'm gonna I'm gonna blame the players. Ooh. You're all professional athletes. Yeah. You get paid to play ball. You have three top 75 players. Defense is all effort. That's grit. That's all energy. JJ, don't JJ, tell me it's otherwise. Not, it's true. not their fault they suck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm going to take us on to our next topic here. Zion Williamson's stepdad. He was on a show called The Jordan... The Jordi Culotta Show, which is an online show in Louisiana. And he, he had this quote. He said, I expect Zion to play. If you were to ask Zion, I'm sure he would probably say the same thing. But with just a couple of games left, with the magnitude of what's going on in New Orleans, and the opportunity to qualify for the play-in and possibly get into a seven-game series, that would be off the charts for the city of New Orleans. That would be a plus for New Orleans. That would be a plus for Zion with the way things are right now. What do you guys think of Zion's stepdad's quote here? It's interesting that with this little time left in the season, he's kind of indirectly put pressure on his son to basically build expectations of a return. So now you're you're saying that you're obviously closer to Zion than anybody else on some level you're saying that he looks good enough to get in the game but you're not just coming back in you can't ramp him up you're coming back into the playoffs or the play-in straight away so what would be the expectation and that's the part i can't quite get wrap around i guess is the best way to put it because do you put him in for 20 minutes not knowing how he's necessarily going to look with mccollum because he's at least played with Ingram, but McCollum's a brand new piece, and 
with everything on the line, are you going to hope that they mesh? I mean, if they do on some level, that team gets way more dangerous. But it just feels like Zion is the the player for that situation who would have needed five, ten games to, to ramp up. It's not... And the homer in me is just going to throw this out there. It's not like Kawhi stepping back into the Clippers because that team knows what they are. Right. This team is new. There's, there's a different mesh to it. I will say they would scare me a lot more if he's remotely healthy and now they have Ingram, McCollum, and Zion in a one-game winner-take-all situation. That's that's very different. It just makes you think when the McCollum trade did happen, if they really caught Zion's attention, which was their main purpose, they wanted to build this roster to keep Zion, make him happy, and I don't think any of us expected Zion to be happy, right? Unless the roster showed results, and it did show some results. I think that this is a play for Zion to make him look better in the PR aspect. You have like what you said, Sammy Kawhi coming back. You have the potential of two other players in Denver coming back, and Curry's coming back from injury. All these players are making their return for the playoffs and lo and behold if zion comes and dominates that's gonna build his brand but for me i don't know it's kind of a weird situation because i've always had the feeling that he didn't even want to play there in the first place so yeah that's what i thought why did the change of heart right and the change of heart might have been now they're playing good right yeah the uh the issue stemmed back in 2019 or last year, right? Or two years ago? But I, I know that there were, there were reports that they were unhappy, the family and Zion, and that there was a rift. But the uh, stepdad is actually, re, re, uh, he is denying that. And so he's, it's weird. It, like you said, it's a weird situation because I, I don't know if, are the Pelicans going to be pressured to play Zion? I'm sure Zion wants to play. I'm sure his stepdad wants him to play. But is it the right choice for the team? He's it's a fractured foot that he's coming back from. I know they played it safe. They took some they, they took their time. He obviously are doing in between the leg dunks that are going viral, but Right. He hasn't played in a while. It's obviously a new team with McCollum. And but like Sammy said, it'll be electric if he comes back. It'll be scary in a one-game winner-take-all or one game, and then they go to another play-in game. So the Pelicans can be dangerous, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not the you know they want to take that risk and if he's not ready. You know, I think the Pelicans will play it safe if he's not ready because they don't. The last thing that they want is for him to get hurt again, and that kills any leverage they have of whether they want to keep him or they want to trade him so right yeah. yeah and along those lines too i was just taking a quick look at their contract situation mccollum's locked in for a few years ingram's in a long-term deal valanchunas is in a long-term deal Devonte graham's in a long-term deal this is their squad this is their team so even if zion doesn't get back this year if you make sure he's 100 percent and you know knock on wood they don't have any injury issues you can get a look at this team from the start of next year and really see if you've got something and see if this this has the the makings of a serious contender. Like if Zion is that piece that puts them over the top because they're all locked in together. At that point, it's convincing Zion to, 
to stay, basically. Even bench pieces are locked in. I mean, Herbert Jones has looked great. He's on a rookie deal. Larry Nance has another year in his contract. Jackson Hayes has another year in this contract. For better or for worse, they do not have flexibility. This is their team. So you could easily wait it out and see what you've got next year if you're just unsure of what you're going to get out of him in this scenario right now. Yeah, I think imagining him coming back for a play-in and perhaps the playoffs is exciting. But at the same time, like I look at this quote and to me, it just sounds like a proud parent. You know, he was asked about his son. Can he play? It's kind of like when I was little and they're like, how is how is Roe at, at basketball? My dad's like, he's like the next Michael Jordan. You know, he's just going to answer. He's going to answer in the best light for you as possible. And I think that's what he did here. Where he's just like, yeah, he could probably play. It'd be, the, it'd be good for him to play. I don't know if I should really take this as like straight up news. I think it's it's almost like noise to me. I don't know. And I think I think this way because I've been tricked before. Because when the bubble happened and there was three months of rest... People kept saying, look out for New Orleans because Zion's coming back. And you know what? He didn't play a single game of the bubble. He played zero games. So I am not trusting him being back on the floor until literally he hits the floor. So on our next topic here, we're going to talk about NBA playoff kryptonite. And basically, we take the top four teams and we talk about what their playoff kryptonite might be, whether that be a team or a thing. And you know, John is actually going to kick us off with our first team. Oh, man. And of course, you guys give me the Boston Celtics. How cruel. (laughs) Cruel and unusual punishment. (laughs) You know, I I wish they were not in the playoffs, but they are. And they're the third seed in the East. The Celtics kryptonite. Wow, that's, that's a tough question. Well, I think that if they play any team with a dominant big, they're going to be in trouble. They lost Robert Williams. They don't really have... They have uh, Tice, Daniel Tice. Um, but if they play the Bucks or the 76ers, I think they're going to be in serious trouble. And then there are the Nets. And I know that they've been struggling lately, but they're the kryptonite for me for any team just because they have Katie and Kyrie. And now Kyrie can play in any game in the playoffs. So, but if I had to pick something, I think the Celtics worst enemy is themselves. For some reason, year after year, they, they just can't get over the hump. And a lot of it is because of their own mistakes. Jason Tatum kind of freezes up or doesn't play well in a, in a, crucial critical game he shoots really poorly and i think there's the history will show that and if they can put it all together they can make some noise but again i would say that the celtics worst enemy is themselves and if they're going to go down it's probably because by their own doing i i personally think you got something going there with the the bigs because like i would be scared for the celtics against the 76ers going up against joel Embiid without having like, is Daniel, is Daniel Tice going to do something down there? I don't think so. Probably not. But, you know, Sammy, Sammy's got our next one. All right, so looking at the Sixers, a lot of choices here on what could be their kryptonite because, frankly, they haven't looked great lately. I, I think you could look at it internally and externally. Internally, I, I think Harden could easily be their, their kryptonite. 
because outside of the first five games, he has not looked great lately. He doesn't seem to be able to to drive past defenders at this point and feels like Embiid is still carrying this team. Uh, saw some stats recently that as of today, in the second half in his last eight games, seven points per game, 27.5% from the field, 19% from three, and he's a minus six. More turnovers than field goals made in the last eight games. Oof. Which is usually a sign that he's fatiguing down the stretch. And we've known that he's never taken his being in shape too, too seriously relative to some other athletes and players in the league. So that's one issue for me. I, I actually also think Brooklyn is a prime candidate to be the kryptonite for this team because I really think as much as Durant and Kyrie were kind of respectful in the media of Harden leaving, that you got to think they would relish the chance to knock them out of the playoffs in round one if they could. It doesn't look like they might end up being a round one matchup. That is correct. But I, I just think Katie's going to be a killer if they end up playing each other and that series ends in five games. I 100% agree with that one. JJ, who you got next? I have the Heat, and even though the Heat, they're in first place, they seem very overrated, fellas. I don't know if you guys feel the same. They're often overlooked, and I think it's because they don't have the bonafide superstar, where we've discussed it many times, where in any series, you wouldn't put Jimmy Butler against the other opposing team's best player. Maybe the Cavs? But in general, I think that's the one kryptonite, which is they don't have that one superstar player that could carry the team or take over a game. They're also um, the fifth worst team in turnovers. And in the playoffs, that's going to be a major issue. I know Spo's all about taking care of the ball and defense, but the turnovers is a huge issue. And last but not least, Bam averages a lot of fouls, and with the East, with all those bigs, Giannis, you have Embiid, they're probably going to attack him over and over, so I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, for, for me, I have the Bucks, which is incredibly hard because I feel like this is the team that, like, that's the favorite to come out of the East, so it's hard to come up with a kryptonite, but their weakest point I want to say is probably coaching. Wow, so if they had any kryptonite, it's going to be Coach Bud. He's going to make some silly rotation. He's going to do some dumb timeout. And you know what? It's going to be against a team that matches up well with them. Like last year. Like the Phoenix Suns. I think the Phoenix Suns against the Bucks would be another amazing series. And a big part of it is because a lot of those players match up well. And I think DeAndre Ayton has made a great step into becoming more defensive, being smarter. He's another year older. And then the X factor would be Coach Bud versus Monty Williams. And if that was what it really came down to, I'm taking Monty because I think Monty is the better coach. John, you got the next one. Well, you transitioned that very nicely into my next team, which is the Phoenix Suns. And I am going to have to say their kryptonite would be the Milwaukee Bucks. 
perfect. Ooh. The team that is was their kryptonite last year because I fully expect the Suns to make the finals this year. Now, if they face the Bucks, are they going to let Giannis do what they did to them last year, which is average 35 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, and 2 blocks a game? If you don't double-team him constantly and you face each other in the finals, I'm going to lose it. I will call up my brother in Phoenix. I will tell him to boycott the Suns <laughs> because... If you face the Bucks again, there's no way you should let Giannis beat you. If you lose that series, you lose by anybody else not named Giannis at the Tecumpa. So I'm going to say that their kryptonite right now, as of now, is the Bucks. JJ. I have the Warriors, and you could help me out on this host, but for the Warriors... I think it's pretty obvious, it's their big fan. We have the MVP of the league, obviously, in Looney, but Looney's gonna have <laughs> trouble against Jokic, against Aiden, and you know, if we reach the finals against Embiid, Giannis. He's very reliable, but he's not as agile and athletic as those bigs. So it'll be really interesting to see if Looney could keep up with them. I mean, he might score like 100 points on them, but defensively, I'm not sure what's going to happen. The other uh, kryptonite for the Warriors is the unknown chemistry. Our big three have not played together over 11 minutes. And mix in Jordan Poole, who's been balling. What will be the closing lineup? What will be the starters? Who deserves to be on the floor? Are we going to have Poole, Clay, Steph, Wiggins and Draymond without Looney. Right. Will Clay have to sit? Will Paul have to stay on the bench even though he's arguably the second best player on the team right now? What do you think? Yeah, it's like a, a terrible unknown, right? It seems like they have like a lot of riches, but at the same time, we don't even know if they're riches because we've never seen it all together. Yeah. So it's absolutely crazy. And another thing that I know that you said that the bigs was like their kryptonite. But I also think a team like Memphis, where the guards can be really physical with our best players, I think that's scary too, because Memphis lately has had our number. So if I were to pick a team, I'm actually the most scared of Memphis. Yeah. Anyway, um, next, Sammy. Oh, well, that's a good, good segue. Because <laughs> uh, I'm going to discuss Memphis, and Perfect. this is going to be a homer pick. I'll throw it out there. But I actually think the Clippers are a bad, bad matchup for Memphis. So to me, that makes the playing game on Tuesday between the Clippers and the Wolves very important. Because obviously, if the Clippers won that game, they will get the seventh seed. I personally think the hallmark of the Grizzlies is their depth. They've got 10, 11 guys they can throw at you. Young and athletic, just looking down the line of wings. Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson. Jaron Jackson's obviously a, a very skilled big, and of course, Jaw is the main attraction there. But if there's one team that has just an absolute surplus of wings that they could throw at this team, it's the Clippers. And the thing with the Clippers squad and the way they're lined up is that there's a ton of playoff experience on this team now too who's been in this scenario just going down the list Batum, Covington, PG, 
Uh, Kawhi, obviously, if he's back, is a game changer. Terrence Mann now has been to a conference final. Marcus Morris, Norman Powell won a ring with the Raptors a couple years back. These are all wing players anywhere from 6'4 to 6'8 that they can throw on anybody on Memphis and create a big problem. The way to expose the Clippers in the playoffs as well, outside of, again, uh, taking Kawhi out of the equation for now because we just don't know, is usually uh, Zoo's a solid big, but laterally he's not the most mobile. So DeAndre Ayton exposed him last year because he was able to just run pick and roll continually and they were able to expose Zoo that way. With Memphis, Steven Adams is essentially a stronger version of Zoo. So he's gonna outboard him a little bit, but he's not gonna be able to take advantage of him from a quickness standpoint. So that mitigates that issue for them a little bit. So I don't know if the Clippers would outright win the series, but I think they would cause a huge problem for Memphis. Follow-up question, is Kawhi playing? I'm legitimately 50-50 on it at this point. <laughs> I have no clue because, you know what I actually appreciate is that we don't, not a word out of Kawhi. And I like there's no expectation, there's no build-up, no nothing. And I actually like that better. Yeah. I don't want to hear. No rumors, some stepdads. Nothing. <laughs> and if Kawhi plays, it's going to be one of those things where Ty Lue comes out pregame and just says Kawhi's been cleared, he's playing tonight. That's going to be the end of it. It's not going to be anything else. Ka- That's true. Ka- Kawhi Nair, Kawhi Nair uh, Leonard. <laughs> See, there is no whining because he doesn't say anything. See, I'm just kidding. I love you, that, Kawhi. That's... My so, I I'm not sure honestly. The last practice where they actually got some video on him, which he was not happy about, showed him in his full no knee brace on, jab stepping, working the ball laterally very well. So Ooh. it's so hard to tell. It feels like he's really close, but with how notoriously careful he is, it's impossible to say. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna make a wild bet. I'm gonna say that he he does play these playoffs. Anyway, my last one, or the last one that I have is the Dallas Mavericks, and I'm gonna say that the Kryptonite is a mixture of seven game series with a good defensive coach, because all you need to do is stop one guy. That's it, Luka Doncic. If you can figure out a way to just stop him. You're going to win the series. And Luka has been amazing. But the thing is that he hasn't proven it in the playoff stretch. He hasn't figured out how to win these long series. So I'm really interested to see how, like, the Warriors play him, the Suns, the Grizzlies, any of these smart defensive teams, because I think he's going to get shut down. Anyway, that is all we have for tonight's pod. I want to thank you guys for being on. JJ, thanks for being on, man. Thank you, everybody. John, thank you. Thank you to everybody except Lakers. The Lakers. <laughs> and Sammy, thanks for being it all, man. I'll give an extra special thank you to the Lakers for all the entertainment this season. And thank you to everyone for listening. We always appreciate it. We don't it. appreciate you, Sammy. No, they're ignorant. That's <laughs> and shout out to our video producer, RJ. Check out our YouTube channel. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Like us on our Facebook group page, The Clinic All NBA Podcast. And follow us on Twitter, at Clinic All NBA. I'm Rosa Panta. This is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. Come find us wherever you get your podcasts.